Welcome back to the Three Technique, a college football podcast at the intersection of the X's and O's and the Jimmies and the Joes. I'm Mitch Mason, joined across the way on the ones and twos by Mr. Trey Reeves. Trey, another sweltering day in Texas, another day in paradise. How are you today, sir? It's another it's another hot one out there, folks. Just uh, par for the course here in the Lone Star State, but we're making the most of it. It's been a great weekend, and I'm excited to talk some more college football. Yeah, tomorrow apparently the high doesn't get over 90, which is uh, a nice little start to the week before it goes back into triple digits. Uh, Today what we're doing is talking about teams that can play spoiler this season. We've talked about the favorites and we will get to the favorites some more in our uh, season previews and conference previews, you know, ultimately culminating in who we think is a real legitimate threat to make the playoff, and then to play for a national championship. But today's episode, all about those teams that are probably not going to threaten for anything major on a national scale, but they could really ruin your Saturday if they beat your team in a crucial spot. Uh, Trey, you've got three teams. I've got three teams that we're bringing to the table for discussion today. Of course, before we get to all of that, just a reminder on the housekeeping Thank you guys for all your love and support on social media at 3TechPod on Instagram and Twitter. Head over there if you haven't already followed us um, and drop a follow. It's free 99, but it supports the show immensely. Also, leave us a like or a rating on Apple or Spotify, wherever you get your podcasts. That helps the show out immensely as well. And as Trey is so fond of saying, tell your friends. Again, no cost to you, uh, but it really helps us continue to grow figure out what you guys really love listening to and help plan shows uh, ultimately that uh, will be most enjoyable and helpful to you guys. Um, So Trey, without any further ado, before we jump into this list, we do have a little bit of breaking news to get to. A couple of items here. First quarterback, five-star quarterback, Jaden Rashada has made his decision literally just a couple minutes before we hit record on this episode He is joining Mario Cristobal at the U. Miami has landed a five-star quarterback in the 2023 cycle. Not the Florida school that I thought he was going to. I thought he was going to commit to Billy Napier and the Gators. There was some traction around LSU, Ole Miss as well. Uh, Your thoughts on Rashada picking Coral Gables for his college destination? Yeah, I mean, the first major big win for uh, Mario Cristobal at the U, I think. Um, Obviously, you need elite quarterback play to win at any level of college football, and Mario Cristobal identified his guy and got the job done. Just like we talked about with uh, Steve Sarkeesian getting Arch Manning, it's huge for the program to get a five-star talent in a quarterback. Uh, Rashada looks like the real deal. I think he's worthy of that five-star rating, and you know, hats off to Mario Cristobal, getting getting it done on the recruiting trail. 
Um, like you said, a head-to-head win over Billy Napier and the Florida Gators. He's going to have to keep those coming if he wants to stay relevant, not just in the ACC, but uh, in the national race as well. But the heir apparent to uh, Tyler Van Dyke looks like he has landed in Miami. So great get for the Hurricanes. It'll be interesting to see if Florida can finally kind of put the gate back on the the swinging fence of Florida um, as far as recruiting goes, right? I mean, so many prospects have been leaving the Sunshine State over the last few years going, you know, across the country to play at other schools nationally. That has historically not been the case. Florida kids stay home to play for Florida schools, whether it be University of Florida, Florida State, Miami, what have you. Uh, and that was not the reality the last couple of years. Now with Napier uh, at Florida and Gainesville and Chris, uh, Cristobal returning to his old stomping grounds in Miami, maybe that kind of corrects to what we've seen historically. Could be bad news for some of the other national programs that have gone to the Sunshine State the last couple of years. Uh, Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Texas A&M, just to name a few. Uh, USC as well. So we'll wait and see exactly how those classes play out. But no doubt a big win for Miami to start this 2023 cycle. The other bit of impending news is that Bill Clark, the head coach, at UAB, a man who did wonders for that program, and I'm not kidding, should have a statue built in his honor there. Yes, uh, absolutely. Has stepped away from the football program or will be very, very soon. He's retiring, uh, is suffering from a debilitating back injury that's going to require kind of extensive surgery. He's going to get a pretty nasty fusion there in his spine. And uh, so stepping away from the program, this is a guy that you know coached UAB, weathered the storm of the program literally going defunct the school removing football from its athletic roster fought tooth and nail for two years to have it brought back and then not only brought it back enjoyed immediate success but also won the case for a new stadium to be built uh, there for the Blazers so just a man who literally should be revered as a legend down there at Alabama Birmingham stepping away Um, certainly wish him nothing but the best Yeah, and if you want just a crazy college football story, look into the ins and outs of what was going on at UAB when they decided to shut down the football program. Lots of booster activity, or not booster, but uh, Board of Regent activity and maybe corruption. And he he stepped into that fire and he built a winning program literally out of the ashes. So hats off to him. We wish him nothing but the best and thoughts and prayers to a speedy recovery so he can... um, just get back to enjoying life and enjoying um, whatever he wants to do next. Yeah, that was a UAB program that we saw come to College Station a couple of years ago. It was a lot of fun to watch the Blazers play football. Uh, a lot of just talented athletes on the field. And, um, you know, we'll hopefully see UAB continue in its upward trajectory post Bill Clark. But uh, like I said, build a statue, ladies and gentlemen. There is, uh, there's no doubt that he deserves that. All right, Trey, well, let's get to the main course here for this episode. We've got six teams that we think are going to play spoiler or could play spoiler and really ruin your Saturday if they beat your team. I'll open the floor to you to start. Where do you want to take us for your first team that just really could could sour some moods come this fall? Well, I, you know, when I, when I was thinking about what teams would fit this category. You can take it a couple different ways, right? You can take it as maybe this team has 
a schedule that lines up where they catch a few teams in an interesting spot. So they catch them in the danger zone. Maybe overlooking them or underlooking them. But um, you could also look at it as a team that just, it's in their DNA to be a spoiler. And that's where I'm going to start. I'm going to start with Mississippi State, the Mike Leach coached uh, Bulldogs down there in Starkville. And man, this is going to be an interesting team this year. You look at um, just who they bring back. They do bring back Will Rogers. We've talked about him on this show before. Probably the second most proven starting quarterback in the SEC West behind Bryce Young. Um, they also bring back a defense that's probably going to be the best one that Mike Leach has ever had as a head coach. I think I feel pretty confident in saying that. But in addition to all that, you know, you look at these preseason ratings, these preseason analytics, especially the S&P Plus uh, put out by ESPN every year, Bill Connolly, they're ranked number 15 in the nation. Um, and that that's a metric that takes in returning production, both on offense and defense, recruiting, and just kind of program stability. They rank 15th, and usually those uh, those rankings do usually have a what-the-heck team in the middle of them at this point in the year, and Mississippi State has been identified as that team, but they do bring back a lot of production from a team that caused a lot of problems in the SEC last year. So, you know, like I said, bringing back a quarterback, bringing back a defense that returns a lot of talent, and uh, their schedule sets up really nicely for it's it's a tough schedule no no means about it but uh it sets up really nicely to play spoilers for a few teams so they start out just running through it real quickly lsu they play at lsu in week three um a team lsu should be 2-0 coming into that game i think mississippi state will probably be 2-0 also um they play they catch a&m in the danger zone between Arkansas and Alabama. Uh, they catch Kentucky in a game that's kind of going to be a crossroads for Kentucky. If Kentucky beats Mississippi State at home, they could be looking at a 10-win season for the first time in a long time. If they lose that game, who knows what could happen. But they also probably have the toughest end-of-season stretch in the, in the country. Um, after the Kentucky game, they go at Bama by week, Auburn and Georgia at home, they get the traditional SEC FCS game against Eastern Tennessee State, and then they close on the road in the Egg Bowl. So, lots of tough games, but that also gives lots of opportunities to spoil. And we know with this air raid offense and Mike Leach, he does tend to jump up and surprise somebody that they're not expected to beat every single year. They beat LSU in their first game in 2020. They beat AM in College Station last year. Um, so, you know. With the Bulldogs, they could be three and nine with that schedule. It's definitely one of the toughest schedules in college football, but <laughs> they could also flip a couple games that they're not supposed to win. So the question is just who are they going to jump up and get? And yeah, it's not it's not a question of if they get somebody. To me, it's a question of who they're going to jump up and surprise. Is there a team that you have kind of pegged as like, you know, like Leech is coming? Le- Leech is coming for your soul this particular week yeah it's hard to it's hard to pinpoint one i do think you know he has gotten lsu before obviously with a much different coaching staff mm-hmm. it will be the second game of a back-to-back road swing for them when they go to baton rouge on september 17th i do think that's a spot where they could really derail brian kelly year one that's definitely a game lsu expects to win i think it might be arkansas 
at home. I was going to say October the same thing. Yeah. yeah. Like Arkansas is getting all this love for, um, all this love for, um, being maybe the second best team in the sec West, um, right at, right before they go to, um, Mississippi state, it's kind of sandwiched in between two big games for the Razorbacks. They play, um, Alabama at home the week before, and then they go to Provo to play BYU the week after Mississippi state. So that could be a game that Arkansas is kind of overlooking a little bit. And Mike Leach just takes advantage of that. Yeah, I could very easily see Arkansas, you know, maybe penciling that game in as a win. But, you know, dude, as we've seen, it doesn't matter what the state of that Mississippi State team is. Going to Starkville is just not an easy task. Like, there is just something in the water there. Things get weird. I mean, you throw out the records. You throw out the stats. It is truly a slugfest. Uh, on the field there with all the cowbells ringing. So, yeah, I was looking at the same thing. I mean, if Texas A&M, which if, if Texas A&M doesn't take care of business against Mississippi State this year, I mean, truly shame on Jimbo. Like, they have been yeah. victimized by Mississippi State so many times in the past. There's no reason why the Aggies should be overlooking Mississippi State. But if A&M does win that game, like they will be favored to do, I do wonder if, you know, it's kind of a crossroads. Mississippi State can either roll over and play dead, which I don't think they do, but it's a possibility against Arkansas. Could be a hot Arkansas team, depending on what the Razorbacks do, you know, against BYU if they're competitive against Alabama. Um, Or they could rise up and, you know, if Arkansas is either bleeding from, you know, a a close loss at BYU, maybe they get blown out by Alabama. Um, You know, that could be another spot that the Pirate takes advantage of and Mississippi State plays spoiler. I, I like that that pick. I like that uh, that look. Uh, that schedule, though, I just, uh, you said it, just incredibly brutal. Should be 2-0 going into LSU, but then to play A&M, Arkansas, Kentucky, and Bama in yeah. four straight weeks before you get a bye is horrific. So, and then closing two out of three with Georgia and at Ole Miss, not easy either. So yeah. it's... I mean, like I said, it, their non-conference slate, it's uh, hosting the Memphis Tigers, who they've had trouble with in the past, sure. and uh, traveling to Arizona, who should be much improved for a really late kick. Sure. Um, it's an interesting schedule for Mississippi State, but I do think you know a Mike Leach coach team is going to jump up and get somebody. That Arkansas game, also homecoming, so could add in a little extra wrinkle to that one, too. That's right. Well, great way to start this off. Uh, I'll go from Stark Vegas to the Little Apple, and we'll start my list with Kansas State. Um, Kansas State is a team that I think a lot of, especially in the Big 12, teams have really rude overlooking, right? You think of Oklahoma losing to Kansas State in back-to-back seasons. Uh, you know, Texas nearly lost to them uh, to get to 5-7. and seven. Last year, Texas Tech has had trouble with them. They've given Baylor competitive games, given Oklahoma State competitive games. So when I look at Kansas State this year, Adrian Martinez has rolled into town. He'll be the starting quarterback. You've got Heisman Dark Horse and Deuce Vaughn at running back, and you've got really good depth at wide receiver. So good skill position players across the board. The biggest question to me on their offense is what what are you going to get from Adrian Martinez? Is he you know, the guy that was so highly ballyhooed coming to Nebraska, 
Or is he truly the guy that we saw after his sophomore year that just, I mean, threw an egregious amount of picks, fumbled the ball at the absolute worst times, and just couldn't seem to handle the pressure? Maybe a new start in Manhattan is exactly what he needs. Kansas State has a very different vibe than Nebraska, but at the same time, they still play really qual- uh, really quality football. And, you know, if Martinez isn't the answer, I think we're going to see Will Howard, former five-star quarterback, get another chance. Now, he was horrific as a true freshman, could not. I think Kansas State was held to less than 200 passing yards in six of their 12 games. Yeah, so not, it, was, it was hard to watch the Wildcats. At truly time. hard to watch. Um, so if Adrian Martinez doesn't work out, then I think they probably get removed off my spoiler list. But if he does play well, I, I think they can be dangerous. Their O-line is really, really solid again. They've got Cooper Beebe back, who was uh, one of the best in the country at tackle last year. And then they've got a veteran defense that brings over half of their production, whether you look at tackles and tackles for loss back, and they also have 77% of their sack artists back as well. Um, it's a defense that finished 16th in the S&P Plus last year and number three in scoring defense in the Big 12 Conference. So overall, a very, very sound defensive team led by a championship-winning coach in Chris Kleiman who knows how to win at the FCS level and now certainly seems to be winning, or at least poised to win, at the highest level of the FBS in Division One football. Notable games for Kansas State. When I look down their schedule, they, they've got an early battle with Missouri, September 10th. That's at home. Missouri's not the scariest team in the SEC, but you know they're, they're doing some really good things on the recruiting trail. And I think you're going to get to see Luther Burden be a, a prominent factor in that Missouri offense early on in the season. We'll see what they have at quarterback. Connor Basilek left for Indiana. So anyway, uh, Missouri on their schedule early. They go to OU September 24th. Uh, now, this is a game that I had Kansas State and, and Oklahoma potentially poised in the danger zone. This is after Oklahoma has played Nebraska and before they play TCU. TCU is going to be a plucky team. Nebraska, we'll see. Uh, we'll, we'll just have to see. I'm going to talk about them uh, a little bit later on as well. They go to Iowa State on October 8th. They're home against Oklahoma State on October 29th after Oklahoma State hosts Texas. So potential danger zone situation there. And then they are at Baylor on November the 12th after they play OU and before Baylor plays TCU in Texas. I list all of those games out to say that there are several spots here where Kansas State and the Wildcats could jump up and really surprise someone. We've seen Oklahoma have some real trouble with the Wildcats in the past, and I think there are more unknowns about Oklahoma this year than I would even say there are unknowns about Kansas State. You know what Kansas State is going to bring to the field defensively, and we think we know what they're going to bring offensively with a heavy attack of Deuce Vaughn. So if Oklahoma is truly going to be an elite team under Brent Venables, great. They probably beat Kansas State. If not, though... We've seen the Wildcats march into Norman and and beat the Sooners, a, a top five ranked Sooners team. I think they were, what, third in the country when they beat them a couple of years ago? Yeah. Um, you know, the Iowa State game could be interesting. And then I think potentially as you look towards uh, Big 12 championship implications, those games against Oklahoma State, which is at home after the Pokes play Texas, and then at Baylor after Baylor has just 
gone through the gauntlet or is preparing to go through the gauntlet after Baylor plays OU and before they finish their year with TCU in Texas. I think Kansas State could not only get one of these teams, I think they could get multiple teams uh, on their way to a really solid year. Yeah, I'm I'm not going to lie. I hadn't really considered Kansas State as a Big 12 title contender uh, until right this moment. <laughs> But Let's go. <laughs> you you might have won me over, man. Like looking at their schedule, is there any game you even tentatively pencil in as a loss other than maybe at Oklahoma? Like that Big Twelve is wide open. I know they won't go eleven and one or twelve and zero. Right. Like most likely, that's not going to happen. But like you said, if Adrian Martinez hits, they have the potential to maybe be the top offense in the Big Twelve. I don't think with, with Deuce Vaughn and with the receiver talent that they have, like that, that potential is there. Yeah. Will, will that happen? Probably not. But if Adrian Martinez is just solidly above average, that offense is going to win them a lot of games. You couple them with a talented defense and the coaching advantage that they're going to have in a lot of games. I think that's scary for the big 12. Now, yeah, I, I don't know that I would pencil in a loss for them other than at Oklahoma. I do think Oklahoma probably wins that game. But after that, it's pretty wide open. Now, they they like you said, they do have a trips to Fort Worth and Waco. That'll be difficult. Playing at West Virginia is never easy either. Um, home games against Oklahoma State and Texas. But yeah, yeah I, I'm on board, man. Let, let's, let's start this hype train for Kansas State. They're going to make some noise in the Big 12 this year. They could. I think at some point I tweeted out a what if Kansas State goes nine and three, ten and two. That's certainly a possibility. If I was setting the over under on wins, um, I'm probably going eight and a half uh, because I could very easily see them losing to Oklahoma, Oklahoma State, and Baylor just off the rip. Right as you start, as I go down the list, those are the the L's that I'm penciling in. But you know, they could very easily get one of those teams. Um, you could see Texas, if Texas is for real, if Texas can stop anybody on defense, um, Texas could find a way to, to beat Kansas State on the road. But tell you what, man, uh, the more I dug into what they bring back, and, and you know, again, the linchpin of all of this is Adrian Martinez. What does he bring to you offensively? I think if he's a dud, then you know, Kansas State will be lucky to go 7-5. and five. But if if he's clicking and if the vibe in in Manhattan is is real they could be a really fun team they could be the next Iowa state if you think about it now we're not yeah. going to have Brocktober rest in peace to Brocktober but Kansas state could be that that kind of fourth team in the big 12 that is lurking you don't want to see late in October early in November uh, as you're starting to dream about a trip to to Jerry World for the big 12 championship game so Kansas state my my first submission to the spoiler list. If you believe in Martinez, their over under is currently six and a half. So yeah, could that's be way too low for me. Yeah. yeah, that's too low for me too. Um, but okay, I'll I'll go ahead with my second team. Um, I'm gonna jump outside of the Power Five uh, for now. Um, outside of the Power Five for one more season. I'm gonna go with the BYU Cougars. So. They've been getting a lot of, you know, kind of sleeper attention this year. And I just wanted to give them a shout out for um, what they're going to bring to the table. It's their last year of independence. They're making the jump to the Big 12 next year, of course. But while they're still independent, they might have the most fun schedule in college football in 2022. I think 
there's just a lot of opportunities to play spoiler. There's a lot of really fun games on their schedule. And I think they're going to compete really, really well with the teams that they're lined up against. So I'm, I'm going to reference the S&P Plus again. They're currently 25th in those preseason rankings. They have the 13th ranked offense. And they return all 11 starters on defense. That's what's really interesting to me. So a very experienced team returning uh, to Provo in 2022. Entire defense is back. They return uh, Jaron Hall. Um, he's going to be back and healthy, hopefully, for BYU. Um, last two seasons, they've gone 21-4 and four against pretty difficult schedules with a lot of Pac-12 teams, a lot of very strong group of five teams. They have not shied away from scheduling tough games in the past, but this season really takes the cake. So lots of spoiler opportunities on their schedule because they have scheduled up for this year. So it starts right off week two hosting uh, the Baylor bears who of course were in the big 12 title game. Uh, won the big Bowl. Yeah. The Grimes bowl in Provo uh, rematch of a game that was played last year that Baylor won. Um, the very following week, they traveled to Autzen Stadium to take on the Oregon Ducks. And that's a game that if BYU is able to steal that one on the road, man, does that send Oregon probably just into a tailspin. Like, yeah. I think at that point with losses already, of course, they'd be out of conference. So they'd still be competing for the Pac-12. But you got to start asking some real strong questions at that point. If you're Oregon, you've already lost to Georgia and BYU. Um, within the first three or four weeks of the season. So, yeah, um, following that up, just this might be the most interesting neutral site game I think I've ever seen in co in college football. BYU and Notre Dame are playing in Vegas. And just interesting to me that those two schools and fan bases are, you know, agreeing to play in Sin City. But, I digress there. Um, that should be a very interesting game. Um, seeing the Mormons descend upon Sin City might be um, very interesting. Uh, but that has the potential to have a lot of fireworks in the middle of the season. It's kind of just in a really weird spot on the schedule. Um, it's October 8th, so Notre Dame um, will have just been off of a bye week, but they also have Stanford in a rivalry game the next week. I don't think Notre Dame will be overlooking BYU, but that's going to be BYU's sh uh, real shot in addition to Oregon to getting a splash win on the national level. Mm. And then uh, it doesn't get any easier from there. They host Arkansas the very next week. If Arkansas, we've talked about them a little bit. If Arkansas is as good as some people think they are, that's a huge spot in Provo. The crowd's going to be amped up. And then they have a couple opportunities to maybe steal a New Year's Six bid um, at the end of the season when they travel to uh, Liberty to play Grayson McCall and the Flames. And then they uh, a couple weeks later go to Boise to play Boise State. So lots of opportunities for BYU. If they're able somehow, I don't know how this would be possible, but if they were somehow able to run the table or go 11-1 and one on that schedule, do you start thinking maybe a backdoor college football playoff spot? I don't think that's off the table if they're able to make some noise on the schedule. I do think, bold prediction is I do think um, BYU, they go 10-2 and two and make a New Year's Six Bowl this year. I think that they'd probably drop. I think they're going to steal one from Oregon or Notre Dame. Ooh. 
and maybe only lose one or two other games the rest of the year and make it to a New Year's Six Bowl. College football playoff is probably just out of their reach at this point, but they're going to be coming into the Big 12 with a lot of momentum after this year. It's a couple of things. First of all, Grace McCall plays for Coastal, not Liberty. Um, just, just oh no, we don't get the Boo Birds out on. Oh Twitter. no, I messed that up. You're right. But but they 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 went out east last year to play yes. Coastal, um, which was a fantastic game. I do agree with you though. I think BYU. I think college football playoff is just a little bit out of their reach. But to me, if they get past Baylor in the Grimes Bowl 2.0. I mean, the sky is the limit for this team because I agree. Oregon, we don't really know what they're going to be this year. They yeah. they still don't have a quarterback. We still don't know who's going to be leading that team offensively. And if it is truly Bo Nix, then give me BYU to, to win that game. I know it's an Autzen. I, I know it's a home game for the Ducks. And that defense should be decent. But... BYU is so stinking experienced this year. You mentioned all 11 defenders, starting defenders coming back. That means their average team age is like 28 years old. And they're truly men playing boys. This has been an explosive BYU offense. Um, Kalani Sataki knows what he's doing. And I really, really like the Cougars' chance, if they get by Baylor, to have a special season. If they don't, if they do lose to Baylor, I think they'll end up dropping, you know, to Oregon, to Notre Dame, to Arkansas, one of those. Um, I don't know if I'm going to preemptively say that they're going to beat Oregon. I do like your your stance there. I'm certainly leaning towards that. I, out West against Notre Dame, where we don't know what they're going to be offensively. We think their defense is going to be really good under Marcus Freeman, but we don't know. You know, there's just so much new with that program. I'm from where I'm sitting right now on June the 26th in Dallas, Texas. I'm kind of inclined to take BYU in that game as well. And then, then it's you know, what's Arkansas like? Arkansas has got their own brutal schedule. How are they holding up? Um, so yeah, I mean, you could make a case for an eight and four BYU. You could make a case for an eleven and one, a twelve and zero BYU team. Because I'll tell you this: if they get by Liberty. I don't think Boise State's going to beat them. Uh, rest in peace to old Dixie State. Now Utah Tech is their final home game of the season. Um, and then Stanford is, is, is the last game of the season. I mean, BYU could make a run to the college football playoff as an independent team. I, don't, I think that would be the most unique position that the playoff committee has ever been put in. You know, Cincinnati, we saw them get in last year as the first group of five team. If an independent team that doesn't have a conference championship game at all to factor Not in. Notre Dame. Yeah, true, true. Uh, I mean, in, in Notre Dame is on such a different level that... Right, that's what I'm saying. Like, not they don't have the yeah. shamrock on the side of their helmet. Or the exactly, exactly. Right. So, you know, it could get fun. So I, I think as a college football enthusiast, uh, I think I would love to see a situa- situation like that occur. Um, I would love to see uh, lots of panoramic views of the Gaylord Texan and grapevine as uh, you know, questions of BYU in the college football playoff as the four seed are running across my screen, but uh, we'll, we'll see what, if, if you had to, if you had to put your, your stamp down and, and say, okay, I'm, I'm saying BYU will go X and X. What are you saying? Man. So I'm going to say 10 and two, and here's why 
Um, they get Baylor, Arkansas, and Notre Dame, probably three of their four toughest games, without a doubt. They get those either at home, at altitude, or in their footprint with Notre Dame and Vegas. I, I think there's just so much potential for weird stuff to happen. Um, like Baylor's going to be an eight, uh, a seven fifteen local time kick, but Baylor's body clock is going to be nine fifteen. We don't know what time Arkansas, the Arkansas game is going to kick yet, but there's a probability that it's going to be later in the year. Arkansas has the potential to already have several really tough losses, so we don't know if they'll be limping into Provo. And Notre Dame, first-year head coach. You know, If there was ever a year that BYU can make this jump... Now, do I think that they're going to run the table and go to the college football playoff? No, I do think they'll drop a couple of games, but yeah, I'll plant my flag. 10-2 BYU sneaks into a new year's six bowl this year what a year to avoid utah as well yeah not having to play the utes i mean this is the best possible time to not have them on their schedule and you know we've already talked about utah you know potentially winning the pac-12 and making the playoff uh in, in past episodes you know there's you let the imagination wander and suddenly we've got a you know a two seed utah taking on uh, a three seed BYU and um, boy, that that would get interesting really, really quick. So I agree. I think 10 and two is probably where I'd land. Um, wouldn't be surprised if there are, you know, a game plus or minus on that, but uh, BYU cannot be slept on this year too. They could, they could really, really sour some moods in, in Eugene, in Fayetteville and in South Bend for sure. So uh, great, yeah. great pick there. And bottom line, if you like chaos in your college football, root for BYU this year because they could just light the squirrel, light the whole sport on fire this year if they were able to run the table. B- BYU is the uh, the beverage of choice for all uh, flask toting, chaos loving college football fans. Absolutely, but just um, you can't do that in their stadium. You will get asked for. That's it. True. <laughs> That's true. Um, all right, my second team is the University of South Carolina. Some call them the real USC. And I think the case for South Carolina it, it being a true spoiler, where, look, they're not going to do anything on a large national scale this season. I mean, I just don't see how that's possible. But, you know, a 4-4 four and four South Carolina team, a... Uh, a I don't know, a five and four South Carolina team, something like that. Finding a way to beat your team, very, very possible this year. And here's why. Spencer Rattler is the new quarterback um, there at South Carolina. He brings with him Austin Stogner from Oklahoma. Christian Beal Smith is now the running back. He transfers over from Wake Forest, where he was the leading rusher for the Demon Deacons the last two seasons after Kenneth Walker III left. Uh, Juice Wells also joins the team. He's a wide receiver from James Madison. He'll pair up with Josh Dan, who was the team's leading receiver last year. So they've got really good weapons on the outside. And then, like I mentioned, you've got Stogner, who's you know one of the best tight ends in the country um, on the inside, as long as he can stay healthy. Overall, really, really good depth at the skill positions. That's one thing that Shane Beamer has worked on relentlessly, is building up the depth at these positions because, I mean, he knows, right? He knows, especially in the SEC, you're going to have injuries, and it truly does become a deepest team wins in some of these games. Um, They bring back nearly 90% of their starts on the offensive line, so it's a veteran nasty group up front that's going to be protecting 
uh, Spencer Rattler. And, uh, you know, that's that's obviously going to help. The, the quarterbacks in the past, it's been a litany of quarterbacks for the Gamecocks, but they've kind of been running for their lives, right? I mean, in, in several of the games that they just got blown out last year, their quarterback had zero time to throw the football. So if that offensive line can take a step forward, it's a veteran group. They know how to work together. Maybe Spencer Rattler has time to kind of return to that Heisman favorite form that we saw at Oklahoma last season. Uh, I will say the defense turning over a lot. It's probably a good thing, though. This defense has had some ups and downs. Uh, At times, as I mentioned, they got blown out last year. You look back at like the Texas A&M game, for example. That was a tough scene for the Gamecocks. But uh, overall, this defense did take a big step forward. They went from 105th in scoring defense in 2020 to the 46th ranked scoring defense in uh, 2021. It was like a difference of 12 points on average per game. And in six of their 12 games, they held their opponents to 17 points or fewer. Their offense just literally couldn't score anything last year. And so I think they went six and six, right? And then yeah. uh, beat UNC in the Duke's Mayo Bowl. Uh, shout out that Mayo bath that uh, Coach Beamer took at the end of that. And the concussion uh, that he probably got from that. And <laughs> a serious bump on the head. Um, overall, the team made some strides last year. They overperformed. They outperformed what a lot of people thought they were going to go, right? Six and six. A lot of people had them at three and nine, maybe four and eight. And they blew that number out of the water. You look at talent on the defense. Zach Pickens, who's their version of Jordan Davis, is a big, angry nose tackle who's not going to put up a lot of stats, but he's just kind of a people eater up front, um, big-time space filler for them. Uh, and then former five-star edge Jordan Birch is a guy that they're really looking forward to hopefully racking up the sack numbers. Now, I'm not saying he's going to be the next Javion Clowney, but he certainly needs to live up to that five-star potential if South Carolina is going to take the next step. Now, they were only 12th in the SEC last year in sacks, so that's certainly an issue. And they're going to need a better pass rush if they want to pull off some upsets this season. But in the secondary, things are certainly looking up. They've got quarterbacks, uh, cornerback, excuse me, Cam Smith. He was second team All SEC East last year and is joined by returning starter RJ Roderick at safety, who is third on the team in tackles. Which, on one hand, a good thing. Roderick is sure a tackler. On the other hand, you don't want your secondary being anywhere near the top of of the list in in tackles. Notable games for this Gamecock team, they're at Arkansas September 10th. They're home against Georgia on September 17th, so a brutal start to the year for South Carolina. But then they've got another just horrendous stretch in October in a row. They play at Kentucky, they play versus Texas A&M, at Florida, and then versus Tennessee. And then the very next week, they've got Clemson to finish things off. Uh, in their Palmetto State battle. So, you know, we, we've talked about some some tough stretches, some some rough closes. South Carolina has as brutal of a finishing stretch as you could possibly ask for. Now, they do have potential to spring some upsets. When they play Kentucky, Kentucky will be coming off of a game against Ole Miss. When they play Texas A&M, A&M does get a bye week right before that game, but they'll also be coming off of the Bama game from two weeks prior and they'll be looking ahead to a game against Ole Miss, uh, a team that you know AM lost to last year, didn't get to play in their Orange Bowl season because of COVID. 
the Aggies have not really played all that well against Ole Miss uh, these last several years. So potential interesting situation, potential danger zone situation there for Texas A&M. Love that sound. Um, For Florida on November the 12th, Florida is sandwiched uh, South Carolina between games against Georgia and Texas A&M. So the Gators, we don't really know what they're going to be this season, but they could be beaten up. They could be battered. I mean, they could be, I say sandwiched. Uh, South Carolina is after those games. So they Florida could be coming off of two straight losses against the Bulldogs and the Aggies. We'll see. Um, Tennessee, we think they're going to be really good. We think they're going to challenge maybe for the SEC East crown if they can get by Georgia and Florida. Uh, and then Clemson, who knows what that offense looks like at, at the end of the season, right? I mean, we talked about it. Their quarterback situation could be completely out the window. It could still be DJU at the helm, or it could be Cade Klubnick. We don't really know. Uh, but Clemson certainly is going to bring a great defense to town. And then Clemson could be battered as well. That's after games against, in a row, the Irish, Louisville, and Miami. So Clemson's ACC fate will be decided by this point. And it could truly be a huge letdown spot if they've underperformed again. So, you know, we'll see what the Gamecocks have. But I think their case for at least jumping up and getting maybe one of those teams on the list, they're, they're not in the same realm as Kansas State where I think they could win two or three of those games. But would I be shocked if they find a way to beat Kentucky? No. Would I be shocked if they find a way to beat Florida in the swamp? No. So we'll see. We'll see. But they they could, you know, by my definition of a team that would just really ruin your weekend in the subsequent week after, I think losing to South Carolina would, would do that. Yeah. And just looking over their schedule, you're right. There's just brutal stretches in the middle and towards the end. It really swings to me on week two at Arkansas and week uh, November 12th at Florida. Those are the two pivotal games that are going to decide if South Carolina is going to a bowl game again for back-to-back seasons or if they're sitting it out. So if you're asking me, I think they're three and four um, after the Texas A&M game. And then I think if you're a South Carolina fan, you're hoping you can get by Missouri and probably expecting to get by Vanderbilt the next two year, two weeks um, to be sitting at five and four in that home stretch with at Florida, at home against Tennessee, and at Clemson. And so I don't think Clemson is going to be overlooking South Carolina. They really love to beat up on South Carolina. They kind of have the older brother, little brother syndrome there, and they love – beating up on South Carolina. So I don't think they'll be overlooking the Gamecocks, but you're right. Their fate will be decided in the, in the ACC. They probably won't be undefeated if they're kind of playing out how we think they will. And so their college football playoff goals will probably be out the window by that time. But if they're still playing for a college football playoff spot, they'll absolutely be up for that one. So if you had to ask me right now, I think South Carolina probably misses a bowl game this year. I, I just Spencer <laughs> Rattler is he's gonna he's gonna inject some life into that offense. I do think he's gonna be better than he showed at Oklahoma at times last year, but he's not the most consistent guy either. No, he's not. He's not gonna he's gonna lay some eggs and he's probably gonna lose a game that he shouldn't for South Carolina. He's also gonna have way less talent around him than he did at Oklahoma. So yeah. Yeah, I mean, if you're asking me in June, I, I don't think South Carolina makes a bowl game, but you're right. They do. Spencer Rattler is talented enough, I think, 
to lead that offense to surprise a couple people. Um, yeah, yeah I, I we'll see. I won't be shocked. Like I said, I won't be shocked if they get one of those games on that list. Two would yeah. be a pipe dream. Um, but yeah, I mean, I think South Carolina might have one of the top five toughest schedules in the FBS. I'm not entirely positive about that. Um, but just looking at the names, I mean, the, the notable games I put on this list, I put seven. Seven of the 12 mm-hmm. games, Arkansas, Georgia, Kentucky, A&M, Florida, Tennessee, Clemson. I mean, like, very easily could be seven losses right right off yeah. the bat. So, uh, yeah, their postseason aspirations, certainly not not great. But with the talent on that team, uh, I think they're I think they're talent just talented enough to be dangerous. Um, so we'll see your final team as we uh, make our make our way to the back half of this show. All right, we're gonna head to the Great White North and uh, talk about the Minnesota Golden Gophers. We're gonna row the boat and uh, talk about PJ Whoa. Flex squad. So another kind of trendy pick for some people. A lot of people have been talking about them making some noise in uh, the Big Ten West this year. A Big Ten West race that, you know, pretty much every year is relatively wide open. I don't, I, I obviously Wisconsin and Iowa have kind of had their say of who runs that division, but you've seen Northwestern jump up. You saw Minnesota have a great year a couple of years ago. It's been wide open in the past. So, uh, Minnesota, um, Tanner Morgan is coming back for his like 10th year of eligibility or something like that. Sure. He's been there forever. Um, but their schedule sets up really nicely um, to maybe make a run at uh, some noise in the Big Ten West. So um, Minnesota, they uh, opened the year with a couple of um, not gimme games, but I, I don't think anyone expects uh, Colorado to be really that difficult, especially at home. Uh, fast forward a few weeks, uh, they they play at Miss, uh, Michigan State, and uh, that's probably their best chance at a loss early season. Um, probably the only chance at a loss before they play at Penn State in a cross division game. So that game against Penn State, I think a lot of people are going to have circled Penn State looking to make the next step. Can they um, step up to where Michigan was last year? Who knows? That could be a big game, uh, not just for the Big Ten standings, but nationally relevant uh, when Minnesota makes that trip. And so, yeah, after that, they play Wisconsin the last week of the regular season. I think that game is going to have a lot on the line. It might be the de facto Big Ten West championship game. They could also, if we just want to talk pure spoiler and just making fan bases really upset, um, we talked about Nebraska. You're going to talk about Nebraska here in a second, but um, they could be Nebraska's first Big Ten loss. Nebraska has a relatively soft schedule to open up the year. And I mean, I don't think anyone in Lincoln is trying to overlook Northwestern right now, especially after the opener last year. But um, realistically, if Nebraska is where they hope they can be in uh, in Scott Frost's year four, then Minnesota is probably the first chance that they have at be playing against a team that ha- should beat them or should at least have an even shot, I guess. I, I don't know how to phrase that, but yeah. um, it could be Minis- uh, Nebraska's first loss. And then, yeah, if if Nebraska or Minnesota can get past, um, they obviously play two of the top four teams in the East, and that's going to be very difficult. But again, just from a spoiler perspective, 
if they're able to knock off one or both of Michigan State or Penn State, they are flipped that Big Ten race completely on its head. And they're looking right at the door of knocking down the door to Indianapolis. Which isn't unrealistic. I mean, do do you know what Michigan State or Penn State's going to be this year? Because I sure don't. No, I mean, yeah. Michigan State's recruited well. Um, Michigan State lost a lot of talent, and their offense, of course, ran through Kenneth Walker last year. So, yeah. I mean, it's early in the season. I think uh, their, their schedule wasn't loading for me just a second ago, but yeah, it's week four. Yeah, week four. So, Minnesota plays New Mexico State, Western Illinois, and Colorado all at home before Michigan State. That's a game that they're probably not going to have to use a lot of their you know, special plays or special like defensive alignments or anything like that. So could be holding some stuff back from Michigan state. I don't know. Four, three base, baby. Here we go. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you don't need to get too fancy. You shouldn't need to get too fancy to beat the Aggies. And I don't even know Western Illinois mascot. I'm not going to lie, but the catamounts, the catamounts. catamounts, their logo is like a bulldog looking thing, but, yeah. um, all right. So, <laughs> um, yeah, I think Minnesota has a lot of opportunity to make some noise. They have a lot of experience. We love PJ Fleck as a coach. Um, I think on the show, I, I know yeah. I do. And, oh yeah, uh, yeah. I, I'm really excited to see what they can do this year. Now, Michigan State's going to be tricky. Penn State's going to be tricky. Um, but all the way down that November fifth game at Nebraska, I think that's going to be pivotal for them before closing the season at home against Iowa and at Wisconsin. I think you know, we don't know what Michigan State's going to be offensively. It certainly seems like it, it makes sense for them to regress a little bit back to the mean, and I think a loss against Minnesota could be part of that. Penn State, dude, I'm, I love Penn State, uh, State Park, and, and the whiteout. I love Happy Valley. Would love to get to go there someday, although I've heard that the trip up there is just a beating and a half, but... Um, would still love to get to experience a wideout game. That being said, Sean Clifford is also back for his 11th year of eligibility. <laughs> and in the battle of, of geriatric old men uh, of college football, give me Tanner Morgan, dude. Sean Clifford stinks. He's not good. I don't care how many times yeah. Penn State people think he's taking the next step and, oh, this year will be different. This year, he's got, he's got it. Don't worry about it. He's got the hand on the playbook. They've been saying that for all 17 years that he's been there. So <laughs> give me the team with the better quarterback. And, a, and a, a, you know, they've been solid defensively. They've not been the best team defensively in the Big Ten. Um, but give me Minnesota in that. So, yeah, I think I think the Golden Gophers could certainly be a, a threat. And, and maybe they take that West – championship again and and you know get fed to ohio state uh maybe they make it competitive i, I don't know but i i cannot wait to see that game against wisconsin for paul bunyan's axe to in the season i'm hoping that's must see tv because wisconsin's got their own question marks but i think a lot of people are maybe projecting them as the favorite in the west i don't believe in iowa i mean that defense is awesome but they lost some pieces and that that offense is so bad um, whether it's Spencer Petrus or uh, what's his name, Alex Padilla, leading that offense. I mean, Kirk Ferentz's kid is still running, calling plays, and he's not good at calling plays. So no, he's not. 
There's you know, only one I'm, reason he has that job. I'm, Minnesota's got some of the best threads in the game. I put that out on Twitter, and the Minnesota fans love that um, to get a little bit of recognition. So, ski you, Ma, man. Row the boat. I'm all aboard it. Well, and I love that they get – I mean, there's no real juggernaut in the Big Ten West, but they get the two – what should be the two toughest games at the very end of the year. And I, I love the way that the schedule sets up for them in that they're, they're going to be playing relevant games all year. They're, they're not going to be out of the division race. And if they fall out of it, it's either because something's gone terribly wrong or it's at the very end of the year, in my opinion. So I love how that sets up for them. I'm really excited to see what they can do with that. All right, so let's bring this home here with my final submission, and it's Nebraska. You mentioned that just a minute ago. Um, quickly run through kind of the situation at Nebraska. Quarterbacks last season were pressured on 43.2% of dropbacks, Trey. That is not winning football right there. Not a good formula for success. People will scream and shout at Adrian Martinez all day long, and I do not blame him, uh, blame them, because he's made some pretty bonehead decisions in his career. That being said, when you are running for your life on almost half of your snaps— that's really, really not good and can lead to some costly turnovers. So veteran O-line may help Casey Thompson, who's now the new quarterback there, uh, transferring up from Texas. He's likely going to be the starter. Scott Frost is not naming a starting quarterback yet, but I don't think Chubba Purdy is going to come in and win that battle as he transfers in from FSU. Um, talented running back room. The wide receiver core is, is pretty young, but they bring in Trey Palmer out of the transfer portal from LSU. He's a big play threat. The defense gets about half of its production back. Uh, Ty Robinson is really the only experienced three technique up front for them. Um, They are experienced on the edge, though, and then they're going to look to their linebackers in Nick Heinrich and Luke Reimer for leadership at the the heart of that defense. So all of that being said, still a lot of unknown offensively for Nebraska, but they had, what, seven – one possession losses last year, and by like one possession, I mean like one or two points. They were literally something like nine or ten points away from instead of being three and nine, being nine and three or ten and two. So this is a team that knows how to play competitive, tough-nosed football. I mean, they gave Oklahoma all that they wanted in Norman last year, and that was an Oklahoma team that a lot of people thought were going to challenge for a college football playoff berth again. Um so notable games for Nebraska. I started to make this list and I started it at September 17th against OU, who, by the way, as, as we record this, is absolutely imploding against Ole Miss in the college, uh, the Men's College World Series. So rip to Boomer sooner. But I couldn't overlook August 27th, the Air, Ling- uh, Air Lingus game in Dublin, Ireland against Northwestern because Trey, we were overlooking Illinois last year in week zero, and they lost. So I'll say this. Nebraska's on my list if they beat the Wildcats in <laughs> That's if a huge caveat. Strike it from the record, Your Honor. Forget everything I'm about to say, because Nebraska will be a dumpster fire. Scott Frost, Scott Frost might get left on the tarmac in Dublin. Yeah, he's not making it back across the Atlantic. No, with no he's, he's find find your own way, buddy. Um, so they got they got to win that game against Northwestern. Then the notable games look like this: September seventeenth versus Oklahoma. I'm going to say at Purdue 
on October 15th because we've seen Purdue pull some weird upsets. I mean, just ask Ohio State. Purdue doesn't have any notable skill players this year, but Jeff Brom has, has worked miracles. So we'll, we'll see what happens with Purdue versus Minnesota, November 5th. That was a game that you referenced earlier. That could be a spot where, you know, Nebraska is coming in with one loss to Oklahoma. Minnesota could be undefeated. That could be must-see TV in the Big Ten. Uh, and then you've got at Michigan, November 12th, versus Wisconsin on November 19th. That's after Wisconsin plays Iowa and before they play Minnesota in Paul Bunyan's acts. So it could be an interesting match there. And then they play at Iowa on November 25th. So all of that to say, there is a very real possibility that Nebraska is coming in at 7-1 and one to that Minnesota game. Uh, could, could be. Could be. If they lose their I think you're overlooking October 29th, Mitch. Um, that that's not an easy one either. That's the home game against Illinois, and well, we saw last year that when listen, you uh, the Illini. <laughs> no, no doubt. Uh, should Nebraska win that game? They should. Uh, all of this is subject to change, though, and I will make that uh, abundantly obvious. But, dude, I mean, if we get seven and one, Nebraska against. What would Minnesota be? Seven and zero, eight and zero. I don't have their schedule pulled up in front of me. They would have had to. Minnesota would have had to get past Michigan State and Penn State, like we talked about. But I think, I think worst case, worst case, one or two losses, Minnesota. Yeah. So, I mean, things could get really fun for Scott Frost if he can just live up to expectations. He's just got to find a way to get some solid quarterback play. And he's got to find a way to win those close games. They have got to stop shooting themselves in the foot on the last possession. So many times last year, Adrian Martinez had the ball in his hand and a chance to walk down the field and win the game. And instead, he fumbled it in the backfield when he was strip-sacked or he threw a game-sealing interception. If they can cut down on those, Nebraska is talented. They continue to recruit at a fairly decent level, not, not recruiting levels of old when they were challenging for national championships, but they've got a chance to be nationally relevant. Uh, And a top 25 Nebraska team midway, three quarters the way through the season is not out of the question. Now that finishing stretch is brutal Uh, versus Minnesota at Michigan versus Wisconsin at Iowa in four consecutive weeks. So, you know, they could start seven and one and very, very easily go seven and five. Uh, And, I think if Scott Frost starts hot, he's going to win a lot of a lot of goodwill back. But I will say, if he manages to then lose four straight in the season, gosh, what do you do? I, I don't know that he's there to coach that bowl game. Yeah, I. That's the nightmare scenario if you're a decision maker at Nebraska. I think, <laughs> but I don't know if the Big Ten did this on purpose. But it seems like all of the schools in the West, at least like who should be the top four, right? Wisconsin, Iowa, Minnesota, and uh, Nebraska. They all play each other at the end of the year. So that that's going to set up some really, really fun matchups. Yeah. I'll just throw one more just weird schedule quirk for Nebraska out here. They go to Piscataway uh, to play Rutgers on a Friday night in the first weekend in October, or second weekend in October. Yeah, um, That could just be weird. Like, we, we've yeah. seen better teams lose on weeknights before. So just throwing <laughs> that one out there too. So yeah, I'm rooting for Nebraska. I want Nebraska to be relevant. And after what they went through last year, I just, 
my heart goes out to that fan base because I, I just have no idea how you're just that close so often and just can't get it done. That, not that once, be, not, not once does it bounce not, not even a blind squirrel finding a nut. Like no. it, it, I, I just have no idea how that happens or how you even cope with that as a fan. So I'm rooting for him. I hope that they have a bounce back year. I hope Scott Frost gets to get a little redemption this year. So schedule sets up nicely. It's set up nicely in the past though. So here's hoping. (laughs) We're we're talking about how it's a soft start to their schedule, but it's been soft in the past. I think we've said that. I think that's been the talking point in the summer on like college football media for the past three or four years. So yeah, I I don't know. Yeah, we we, we were know. we were talking before we hit our hit record. Uh, you know, our industry friends up north at, at Hale Varsity. There, I mean, you talk about your heart going out to some people. You're day in day out covering Nebraska athletics, and you know having to put up with what they've had to put up with the last several years. Uh, you know the way that the Bo Pelini era ended. Uh, Mike Riley did not work out. Uh, and you know, now the favorite son is not so favorite anymore in Scott Frost. So yeah, certainly hope Nebraska is one of those blue bloods. I don't know if they're still a blue blood. I mean, they recruit kind of sorta on the level of a blue blood, but just so much history in that program that you hate to see them be down and out for too long. Uh, and you know, I it, I mean, truly is. If Scott Frost can't find a way to to have an eight and four, nine and three season, I really don't think seven and five saves his job. Yes, it would be mean going to a bowl game, but it probably means that you dropped at least three of the four games to finish the season. And we know college football fan bases are ravenous at the end of the year. They demand change as the coaching carousel begins to spin up. And I just think enough will be enough at that point for for Nebraska if if they don't uh, you know go better than seven and five. Yeah, and it would depend on how that seven and five looks. Seven and five is the, like I said the nightmare scenario if you're a Nebraska decision maker. Like, yeah, you would rather Scott Frost probably go three and nine again. So it's just <laughs> easy. And fire, fire him in Dublin. Yeah, but. Yeah, we'll see. And I, one thing I love, just one more thing about Nebraska, like they're also one of those schools where they are the the thing going on in their state, right? Like, there's so many places in college football where, like, um, I don't know. You think about like Kentucky basketball is the thing going on in the state of Kentucky. There's no pro sport to cover it up. Like, um, Nebraska football is the sport. Yeah. For if you live in Nebraska. So I'm hoping uh, that that's a great state with great people. I hope that they get to have some happiness this year. No doubt. No doubt. Well, Trey, this was fun. Um, you know, we've been wanting to do this episode for, for a little bit now. I think this is going to be a lot of fun to listen back to should uh, result in a pretty cool graphic coming your way. I'd imagine shout out to you for the graphics, by the way, those have looked fantastic. Um, and if you haven't seen those graphics in the past, uh, you certainly can by going to at three tech pod on Instagram and Twitter and dropping us a follow again, it's free 99 and, uh, certainly helps, uh, helps us grow and continues to support the channel for Trey Reeves. I'm Mitch Mason until next time. So long. everybody.